Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. Mary and Elizabeth are both expecting. Elizabeth about six months along ahead of Mary. Mary has been greeted by one of God's messengers who has explained that you're carrying a child, that he is the Messiah, you are carrying Christ the Lord, and then that same angel of God that delivers this message says, oh, and your your cousin Elizabeth is also expecting. So Mary then rushes off to this town, and they don't give it a name, but it's in the hill country of Judea. It's believed to be about an 80 to 100 mile journey that would have taken three days. And she arrives. And so here we have this first meeting of Jesus and John the Baptist brought about because their mothers are together uh, when they are both expecting uh, these two babies that aren't just any babies. And so we have this beautiful scene and it is sort of a, a... a uh, harbinger or a, uh, a signifier that this is a, a sampling or a foretaste of the joy that is to come. And, uh, sorry, I'm reaching for the wrong thing here. I came across this poem by a guy named Malcolm Geith, and it's called The Visitation, based on this encounter in Luke's Gospel. It says, here is a meeting made of hidden joys, of lightnings cloistered in a narrow place, from quiet hearts the sudden flame of praise, and in the womb the quickening kick of grace. Two women on the very edge of things, unnoticed and unknown to men of power, but in their flesh the hidden spirit sings. And in their lives, the buds of blessing flower. And Mary stands with all we call too young. Elizabeth with all called past their prime. They sing today for all the great unsung women 
who turned eternity to time. Favored of heaven, outcast on the earth, prophets who bring the best in us to birth. Jesus and John the Baptist. How many times have you heard somebody say, and if you're young, this is corny enough, you may not have heard this, but uh, some of us are old enough to remember when you know, people would say things like, Oh, man, I've been in church all my life. I've, I started coming to church nine months before I was born. And so, with that kind of thinking, we have this first encounter of Jesus and John the Baptist. And what joy it signifies. We continue our series this morning on the promise of Christmas. And one of the promises of Christmas is that of joy. A series inspired by those who are celebrating Advent at this time of year. We have discussed hope and peace the last couple of weeks. And today uh, we turn to joy. George Mallory uh, was a British uh, mountain climber. And in the early 1920s, he made a uh, series of, uh, of trips uh, to scale Mount Everest. Uh, he is believed to be the first person to ever reach the summit. And uh, on his third attempt, he was actually killed on the mountain. His body was found in 1999, yes, some 75 years later, well preserved because of the frigid temperatures. He was only 2,000 feet from the peak when he was discovered. And in 1922, when Mallory was asked, why climb Everest, this is the reply he gave. The first question which you will ask, and which I must try to answer, is this. What is the use of climbing Mount Everest? And my answer must at once be, it is no use. There is not the slightest prospect of any gain whatsoever. Oh, we may learn a little about the behavior of the human body at high altitudes, and possibly medical men may turn our observation to some account for the, purpose, for the purposes of aviation. But otherwise, nothing will come of it. We shall not bring back a single bit of gold or silver, not a gem, nor any coal or iron. We shall not find a single foot of earth that can be planted with crops to raise food. It's no use. So if you cannot understand that there is something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain and goes out to meet it, that the struggle is the struggle of life itself, upward and forever upward, then you won't see why we go. What we get from this adventure is just sheer joy. And joy is, after all, the end of life. What he's trying to say there is that joy is what life is all about. That life is about trying to experience pure joy. And on that, I don't disagree with George Mallory. What I would disagree with is how he went about in his life seeking to find that joy. And so we look further in Luke's Gospel now in Luke chapter 2 beginning 
with verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, if the shepherds in the birth narrative in Luke's gospel, if they represent the common people, the everyday person on the street, then Simeon represents the wise elder who has had a seasoned walk with the Lord. That is what his testimony represents. And so, uh, the temple I always imagine being a quite busy place. There is lots going on in the temple. And there are different courts in the temple. There is a court of Gentiles. Because they, the Gentiles, non-Jews, could only go so far into the temple. There is a court of women. And so, some believe that that may be where this is taking place, since Mary is allowed to be there. And so, uh, Simeon has been told, he has been informed, you're going to get to see the Messiah. And so, Simeon serves as this sort of watchman. He is like the watchman on the wall. He is waiting Waiting, anticipating. He has been assured, Simeon, you're not going to die before the Messiah arrives. And so there's Simeon. No telling how long he has been waiting for this moment. But there he is. And in walks this couple. And if he is so in tune with God's Spirit, blessed in such a way that he can, that he can be told, you're going to see the Messiah, then it sort of makes sense then that he recognizes who Jesus is. That there are no telling how many firstborn males and families across all of Israel that are brought into the temple on that given day. Their eighth day. And they are brought in for this ritual. They are brought in for the circumcision and for this baby to be presented. 
Here we are, a family, a Jewish family, doing what the law of Moses tells us to do, presenting our firstborn male to receive a blessing from the Lord. And yet, there's Simeon who approaches them. He doesn't have to go from couple to couple, from infant to infant, saying, well, tell me your story. Is this the Messiah? No, that would have freaked a lot of people out, I imagine. Probably would have gotten Simeon run out of the temple, right? But yet, Simeon just knows. And oh, church, this is one of those scenes in Holy Scripture where I would like to have been there. I don't have to be there for all of them. But this is one that I would have liked to have been there for. To have been just standing about five or ten feet away. That moment when Simeon walks up to this couple. Waiting. Waiting. Watchman for Israel that he was. And then just sort of makes eye contact with Mary. Gestures to her. Holds out his arms. I'm not sure words had to be spoken. And then her, with all that she had already experienced, just sort of knowing that this is somebody I'm supposed to hand my child to. And him taking that baby in his arms and saying, Lord God, promise kept. Promise made and promise fulfilled. I have now seen your glory. I'm holding salvation in my arms. Why? Because God cares about His people. And that moment that Simeon says, you can now dismiss your servant... One of those things from Holy Scripture that permeates society. Often used with something so shallow as a team winning a championship, you know? The Titans won the Super Bowl. Lord, you can take me now. Can't say it yet. But did get word that Derrick Henry's on his way back. He's healing well. And no, I've not been specifically praying for healing for Derrick Henry's fifth metatarsal. But we can, in our vernacular today, we can say something really compared to this so shallow is, hey, my team won. Lord, you can take me now. Like that's all we have to live for. Because what Simeon had come to live for, the joy he was waiting on, was a game changer for humanity. A sign that God says, I love my people, and in spite of their sin, I am giving them away back to me. I'm going to give them away. That they no longer will have to make sacrifices. 
they will just merely repent of their sins with an honest and sincere heart. That they will no longer have to pray through some other means, that they can pray directly to me. God saying, this is how much I love my people. Simeon knew, with all those firstborn males entering the temple on a daily basis, that this was not just any firstborn male. That this was the Christ, the Messiah. Not like any other boy that entered the temple named Jesus. From the writings of Charles Spurgeon, this is actually uh, a sermon that he preached. And he says, The weakness of submissive gentleness is true power. Jesus founds his eternal empire, not on force, but on love. Here, O people, see your hope, the mild, peaceful prince, whose glory is his self-sacrifice. He is our true benefactor. Neither was wealth to be seen at Bethlehem. Here in this quiet island, the bulk of men are comfortably seeking to acquire their thousands by commerce and manufacturers. But here, in the cradle of the world's hope at Bethlehem, I see far more poverty than wealth. I perceive no glitter of gold or spangle of silver. I perceive only a poor babe, so poor, so very poor, that he is in a manger laid, and his mother is a mechanic's wife, a woman who wears neither silk nor gem. Not in your gold will your joy ever lie but in the gospel enjoyed by all classes of society. The gospel freely preached and joyfully received. Jesus, by raising us to spiritual wealth, redeems us from the chains of mammon, and in that liberty gives us joy. Spurgeon preached that December 23, 1871. Because even in his society, he saw that people were chasing joy in the wrong places. That it wasn't about power, and it wasn't about material wealth. That joy came in the form of a baby. A baby born into poverty. A baby laid in a manger. We look forward into Luke's gospel. Picking up where we left off at Luke 2.33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined, destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thousands of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You just had to know that he was indicating that moment that she would someday be standing at the foot of the cross, watching her son die in anguish. 
Verse 36, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the, the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Church family, there are challenging times. And I appreciate what Simeon tells Mary. That this child is like no other child. That great things are going to happen through him. But that it's also going to cause some turbulence. And that your, your soul will be pierced in the process. We can only speculate as to how much she might have understood in that moment the very young mother that she was. But Simeon is reminding us that this is a broken and fallen world and that even in a broken and fallen world that when we have a relationship with God that we have hope and we have peace and we have joy because joy is so strong when we truly find it when we truly have it that it still exists even on the darkest of days that we have a joy in our heart because we know of the promises that God makes But more importantly, church, we know of the promises that God keeps. And those are the promises that we have to be so, so grateful for. The only people that knew who Jesus was when Mary and Joseph brought Him into the temple courts that day were Simeon and Anna. Two older folks that could have easily been overlooked or dismissed by society. But that God used to bear witness to say, Mom and Dad, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. In Luke 11 verses 27 and 28, as Jesus... was saying these things, it says, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Now, it's not uncommon in ancient society for someone to look upon the stature of the sun 
and their success or their accomplishments and to give praise to the mother. As if to say, he didn't get here by accident. You know, he had some good raisin once upon a time. And so this woman says, you know, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Because Jesus is reminding us in that moment that where true joy comes from is a deep and long relationship with our Almighty Father. That that is where the source of joy really comes. Church family, we make choices. And one of the choices that I hope we all make is to daily seek a deeper, more authentic relationship with God. That God alone is the source of joy. We hear a lot about joy during this time of the year. And rightfully so. Because joy came into the world. And it is through this joy, it is through this Jesus, that we gain access to the Father. It is through Jesus that we have the hope, the promise of eternal salvation. Faith, repentance, baptism. That's all it requires. And so we offer an invitation to say, Come. Come. Come and change your life forever. Come and begin a journey that will show you what joy is. Even on the most unfortunate days of your life on this side of glory. Come. Enter the waters. Enter that watery grave and rise from that water a new creation. A saved soul. Someone whose name will be put in the Lamb's book of life. That's why we sing the song we're about to sing. And if you're with us this morning, and 